Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. We've been going through the book of Acts over the past uh, three or four weeks, and we're splitting it up into a few different sections. So this is sort of the last uh, part of this first part of the series, and uh, we're going to spend the next month talking about um, Jesus being the Messiah and how uh, that played such a pivotal role. Uh, We're looking at a lot of things going on in the Old Testament and and how uh, how he came, and so I'm, I'm really excited about that. But we're wrapping up the book of Acts today, and so we've just been sort of skimming over chapters 1 through, now we're on uh, 6 and 7. And I just wanted to to catch us up a bit as we move forward uh, this morning. So the book of Acts uh, is written by Luke, and Luke is also the one that wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke. And so the book of Acts is part 2 of his story of Jesus and what Jesus did when he came here, when he lived, uh, when he died, and when he rose again, and why that's important for us. And so Acts tells the story of a group of people that are really trying to figure out and work out exactly what is going on, because here they are, we see them in the, in the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, Luke is telling us that the disciples are still somewhat clueless as to how this is all going to work out. Jesus, as we know, as, as he, uh, Luke tells us in chapter 1 of Acts, he, uh, he, he's crucified on the cross. Everyone has seen that happen. In this, right now they're still in Jerusalem, and so the people, it was, it was a big, big news story uh, that took place. Uh, then he rose from the dead. And he appeared uh, all around Jerusalem uh, for 40 days, is what Luke tells us, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And so within that 40-day span, uh, things are a little bit different. The disciples aren't quite sure what's happening. Jesus is able to walk through walls. He's able to uh, appear and disappear, uh, but he's still like eating fish. And so they're trying to figure out what is going on now. And so the, the first chapter of, of Luke sort of concludes with this idea where, where the disciples are saying, so is this the time that you're going to establish the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus sort of says, ah, you don't really get what I'm talking about yet, but just go uh, into the upper room, wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say no, but he says it's not really going to be like what you think. And so uh, they go into the upper and, and then he like descends uh, into heaven ascends into heaven, and, uh, and he sits uh, at the right hand of the Father. And they see this, angels are hanging out with them all of a sudden, and they say, you should just go to the upper room. You'll get more information when you get there. And so they go to this upper room, and they're hanging out, and they're still trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, the power and the presence of God come in, in a very unique way, but in a way that's very reminiscent of when the power of God and the presence of God filled the tabernacle, and when it filled the temple. And what we learned is that Acts is really telling us about the building of a new temple. And so as, as we pick up those pieces from chapter 2, and they're filled uh, with the Holy Spirit, and fire is resting on their heads, and, and they're, they're pushed out into the crowd, and Peter begins to preach about all the things that these people were hearing being proclaimed in their own 
language. And so then that moves from that scene and thousands of people begin to believe in Jesus and, and that he really was the Messiah. And, and so Peter says, remember him. Well, he, he, he's, he rose again. And, and this is what that means. And so then chapter three transitions us into a story of Peter and John. They're going to the temple to pray because that's still what they knew to do. Like we're just, we're going to the temple to pray. And before they can get to the temple, the presence of God manifests in such a way that this incredible, miraculous healing takes place. And uh, the, a lame man stands up, he, he, he's raised up, and he's able to walk around, and he's dancing around, he's in the temple, everyone's really excited about it, it's kind of a big deal, he's been like that for 40 years, and so they say, you know, what's going on? And they say, remember Jesus, the guy that you guys killed, well, he was more than just a man, and he's actually the Messiah. And so they start explaining, and more people come to faith, then they're arrested for the first time, Peter and John, and they're released, and so they come back home, and they're praying for, for more, Lord, more of your power. Would you stretch out your hand to heal and do mighty works? And then it ends with a story in chapter 4 of this guy named Barnabas, who uh, was part of the people that sold everything they had because they realized this is the kingdom that's worth dying for. This is what we've dreamt of. This is what our forefathers dreamt of for so long, many hundreds and thousands of years. And so they sell everything. They live together as a new family, as a new people. And so Barnabas sells his land, brings all of the money back, lays it at the apostle Peter's feet. So then chapter five is what we talked about last week with Ananias and Sapphira. And it's a really awkward story about people that died uh, somewhat surprisingly uh, when, they, when they shortchanged uh, Peter. And they, they heard about Barnabas, that sounded like a good idea. So they do the same thing, but they withhold a little bit. And Peter says something that's, that's pivotal, and this is where we landed last week, that you don't understand, you're not lying to me, you're not lying to men, you're lying to God. And we realize all of a sudden, and those around them realize all of a sudden, wait a minute. This reminds us of when God initiated the priesthood in Leviticus, in Exodus. And, and this whole transition is happening. And wait a minute, this power of God that comes in, that, that dropped uh, Aaron's sons right in the very beginning of him establishing the tabernacle. Like it was that that presence of God that they hadn't seen since exile into Babylon. It seemed to be back. And so we have this incredible crescendo of a story of people that are realizing that it's not just this new way, there is a new thing happening. And apparently, God is somehow indwelling us. The presence of God is somehow indwelling us. And Peter writes about it later, he says, he says, you know, you're, you're a kingdom of priests. And, 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 he, and he, he begins to explain to everyone what exactly is going on. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, that don't you know that your bodies are the temple that's being built upon the cornerstone of Jesus? Our bodies are the temple. And so we, we begin to see this picture taking place that somehow God has chosen to dwell in us and among us. It's all about him finding a new temple, a better temple, in order that his presence can fill the earth. And so that Jesus' command to go to all nations and baptize them and make disciples, we realize that that's not just 
a task that they're charged to do, it's so that his presence begins to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we transition from that into this story where at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, we're seeing that they're coming back together and the fear of God is striking people and people are really scared because people can die now again by going into the temple improperly. And apparently the temple is here at all times. And when we get together, it can be a combustible, dangerous place. But as the fear of God grips people, people are also gripped by the amazing, loving kindness of God. And that in his wisdom, he's chosen somehow to to dwell inside of these earthen, broken vessels, these jars of clay, that, that we somehow can contain his presence. And the numbers continue to grow, and, and as the numbers continue to grow, they're still working things out, and so uh, they're, they're wanting to live together as a new people, as a new family, because they really begin to realize the, the unbelievable power that happens when we come together. And so they don't want to not come together because, I mean, the power and the presence of God is tangibly available now that we're together. And so they're living their lives together and, and they're sharing meals together and they're, they're sharing houses and they're sharing resources and money and, and they begin to share everything. And then as the numbers grow and as everything begins to happen, they find themselves in an interesting predicament where there were two sects of Jews, the ones that spoke Greek and the ones that spoke Aramaic and Hebrew. And there was a little bit of a division between the two. Because one was seen as like the true people, those that smoke, spoke the original Hebrew language, and one was seen as sort of uh, an add-on. And so they began to, to notice that there was a bit of racism that was creeping in. There was a bit of uh, animosity that was creeping in between the two groups. And so they say, this shouldn't be. And this is where we pick, off, uh, pick up right here in Acts uh, chapter 6. It says this, it says, Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So the Hebrews were the ones that spoke the Hebrew, the Hellenists were the ones that spoke Greek. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution of food. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, I don't, Timon, Parmenaeus, and Nicholas. I got Stephen and Philip down. I couldn't get those other ones. Uh, A proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this incredible story that we get to be a part of. We thank you that your presence is among us. We ask for more. More of a realization of your presence being here. Jesus, we just declare this is your church. And we say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come in a greater way? 
and power. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So this story is crucial. This is, this is the hinge point here of the rest of Acts. This is, this is where things begin to change because up until this point, a few things seem to be the norm of, of what is going on. First, they're still hanging in Jerusalem. They're still right there, right in the center. They haven't left. They haven't begun to follow Jesus' command to go out into all the world. They're, they're still there. And so, so they're, they're needing a bit of a push to leave because it's familiar. It's nice. It's, it's, it's great, actually. People are living together. There's relative peace among them. They're enjoying the benefits of a church in a time of peace. But Jesus had a command. He said, you, you need to go. And so uh, after this altercation with Stephen, we'll see that the church continues and begins to spread, and, and it, it doesn't stop up until this time. But the other interesting thing that we see that changes with Stephen is that if you'd been around at the time, or if you had just been reading this text, you would probably begin to think that all of this power, all of this authority, the miraculous stuff, everything that's going on seems to be centered on one, maybe two individuals, Peter, and then we hear about John. And so, I don't know if you know this, but typically what we like to do as people is we like to have someone else be the ones that do the stuff. And then we like to receive stuff and, and get the benefits of that without actually entering into it. And so as just a people, just as humans, it's very natural to us to begin to try and venerate other people that are maybe leaders because they're special. And in fact, it's not that crazy to think about because uh, the people of Israel had a system in place that sort of led to that. They had these priests that they were the only ones that could minister to the Lord. They were the only ones that could go uh, into the Holy of Holies only on a certain day. And so they were somewhat used to the idea of a special select few that, that were in charge of administering the presence. And then they had the prophets, and, and they were sort of interesting, odd folks that, that everyone sort of was like, okay, those prophets are, are weird, but they seem to hear from God, and so we'll go from that. And usually they killed them, and then afterwards they'd be like, man, they did a great job, we shouldn't have killed them. Uh, and so they, they regretted that. And so uh, Stephen brings that up here uh, in the next chapter. But so, so for the people, they're somewhat used to this idea of only a select few can actually move in the presence of God. And what we see here is something that really is, is somewhat mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing uh, for the people of Israel, and it's mind-blowing for pretty much any sort of religious idea that has ever existed on the face of the earth up until this point. And what we're seeing is that everyone apparently gets to be in on the fun. Everyone gets to be a part of this new move of God that's happening. Because Stephen was selected. He was just a waiter. He was selected to serve. He, he, was, he was just chosen just to wait on the tables. And even Stephen, it says, moved in great power. Miraculous signs and wonders followed him wherever he went. This is important for us because what it's showing us is that, yes, there is a new priesthood that's being established but it's actually a priesthood of all believers. It's every one of us gets to be in on the action. And so for us today, I, I want to, to stress this idea 
that we all get to be in on the fun. That there is really no such thing anymore as one or two individuals that run around and have a direct line of communication to the Lord that we all listen to. It's actually now for everyone. The presence and the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God, indwells each of us. And this is why Paul says that we're like a body and that we're, we're all coming together and we serve different functions. And, and if any part of your body is, is not working properly, you'll notice it. And there really isn't a place that's really that less important. I mean, if I have one arm, I would rather have two arms. And honestly, maybe four. I don't know how that would work. I got to think two's pretty good. It's better than one. Maybe four is better than two. I don't know. We'll see. But we want, we want to have all of the body functioning properly. Because everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to be a part of this new kingdom that's being established by Jesus and his people. When we first uh, began the church, uh, the Lord was doing amazing things. And we're, the church is turning four years old in February of 2020, and so it wasn't that long ago. And, and when we first started the church, we started with a home group. It was just a few people that met in our living room. And, and God was really showing off. And we experienced like power and healings and, uh, and words of knowledge and prophecy like we've never experienced up until that point. And a lot of the people that were a part of this home group, they'd never experienced anything like this either. And so before too long, because it was primarily me and my wife Sarah that were they're leading it and then we would do it, people sort of began to only come to us when they needed prayer. And, and so they started to say, well, we need prayer for this, let's go to the people that know how to pray. Let's go to the healers. Let's go to whatever they were thinking. And so we noticed, like, this is not really the point. Like, the point of this isn't just to keep it to ourselves. In fact, the way that the kingdom works is that you really only get to grow in what you're willing to give away. So just so you know, like, if, if you're really good at something, the way to grow in that, in the kingdom, is to give all of it away. It works with finances, too. It's just a kingdom principle. It's a stewardship principle that is somewhat counter to, to what we think in the natural. But in the kingdom of God, this is how it works. I actually remember, like, things were happening. Like, tumors were disappearing. Like, pretty, pretty cool stuff was happening that I had really only ever dreamt of. And so, I remember the first time that I was ever asked to pray for someone that was like an impartation prayer of like, like they wanted to be able to do, you know, all of the things that we were doing. And I'm just being transparent with you. There was like half a second where I thought, but if they can do it, then I'm not special. And then the realization of the fact that that's exactly right. I'm not special. And if, I, I don't know if you, if you know this, but I really like to think that I'm special. It's just something that I enjoy. My parents, they told me I was special a lot. And the more and more that I get out in the world, I, it's, I find I'm not that special. I'm just not. And so there's still a part of me that really wants to be special. But I realized that the kingdom of God is for everyone. And all of us get to experience 
this. And all of us get to move in this. And if, you're, if you weren't sure, Stephen tells us that that's actually so. Because Stephen begins to move in incredible signs and wonders, and he was essentially the janitor. He was the one that was chosen to clean up the trays, who was chosen to, to take care of the widows, who were those that were forgotten by society. And so his job wasn't that glamorous. And so I, I'll tell you that we run a risk of being a church that is always trying uh, to press into the more of God. And the risk that we run is that we actually begin to create a system and a people that elevate a few people to a level of, I don't know, perfectionism, that they've arrived. If I ask you, like, who would you like to get prayer from? And your answer isn't the one sitting next to me. It's probably either because you know too much about that person <laughs> or it's because we all kind of believe this. There's something inside of us that, that kind of believe that some other people are a little bit more special. They're just better at it. Now, there is a principle about uh, seeking and finding and people that devote their lives to, to searching the deeper things. I mean, there's a principle of that, and you can mature and you can grow, and that's true. And, and so there are people that, you know, their prayers seem to be more effective, but if you peel back the layers a bit, it's just because they're, like, constantly in the Word, trying to understand things of the kingdom. And so, you know, they're discovering uh, things that we probably won't discover because we're not taking the time. So there is that, you know, it's the it's glory of God to hide a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. So we have that. And so we have people that come in. We have people like Robbie Dawkins and Ken Fish and uh, you name it that are coming in because, I mean, they move in some really neat things. And what we want it to, to be is we want it to be a flashpoint of what's available for all of us. We don't want it to be like, mark your calendars, if there's anything wrong with you, Ken's going to be here in February and we'll do a line. We don't want to be that. But it's hard not to be that because we know ourselves. And most of the time when we're facing a problem that needs a miraculous intervention, we don't feel equipped to do it. We don't feel like this is something that we should be doing. And so we look for someone else, someone that we deem that's a little more holy than us. But the scriptures over and over again say, that's not how this works. Everyone gets to get in on the action. Everyone is a minister. Everyone is a priest. Everyone is a king. Everyone is a son. Everyone is a bride. Part of it is learning to be uncomfortable in the issues that you're not comfortable in in order to lean on the comforter who comes to comfort in an uncomfortable situation. Good. Does that make sense? I've never prayed for healing for someone and been sure that it will work. I've been somewhat sure. And I've never prayed for healing for someone and seen a healing and not been completely surprised and pretty sure they're lying to me to get me to go away. <laughs> because that's just sort of the reality. If we go on what we feel, we'll sort of just vacillate back and forth. But what we have to do is go on what we know. And we know that the presence of God dwells in our midst. Like inside of us. And we know that, that God has commissioned us to carry out the ministry in the life of Jesus. 
And he wouldn't do that if he knew that we couldn't do it. And we know that Jesus has told us to do even greater things than what he has done. And, and that all means that apparently there's more that we can do. And so where we want to drive today is to say, listen, every one of us can get in on the action. Every one of us are called to do the stuff. This is, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is that you do what Jesus did. Jesus didn't only do nice things, he did miraculous things. And we've relegated Jesus to being a nice guy with a good idea. But Jesus walked around into an environment and began to pull the kingdom into that environment simply because he was there, because he hosted the presence. This is how Jesus moved. He only did what he saw the Father doing. And full of the Holy Spirit, he begins to move around and we see the kingdom of God break forth. So, I want us to look a little bit about the requirements of what it means to, to be like Stephen. Like, forget about Peter. Peter seems like too high of a goal. Jesus seems like way too high of a goal. But Stephen, we might can get it, Stephen. Like, I can get my head around, I just have to be as good as the janitor. Like, that's, let's leave that bar right there. But Stephen actually began to create a, a new paradigm for the church that broke it out of its old box and moved it into the rest of the world. It's, a, it's an incredible thing. So I want to take a look at verse 3 uh, of chapter 6. And this is Peter, and he's looking at the parameters of what's needed to appoint the janitor. And so these are the parameters. And he says that uh, you need to find seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who we made a point over this business. So I wanted to look at what it meant. What does it mean for us to be qualified to be janitors in the kingdom of God? Okay? What does that look like? The first is apparently we have to have a good reputation. But the language there is somewhat misleading because in the, in the Greek that's not exactly what it says. In the Greek what it says is, is that we actually have to be uh, what's called martreo, marturo, which means to be a witness, to testify, literally or figuratively, to charge, to give evidence, to bear record, and to have and obtain a good, honest report of what has happened. It's from the same root words that we get martyr. And so Peter wasn't asking for someone that had a good moral history. He was asking for someone who is actively witnessing Jesus moving amongst their lives. This is, this is what Peter was asking. is like, give me seven that have the right paradigm that this wasn't just for yesterday, that Jesus is actively moving here today. Are they witnessing Jesus move among them? Do they get to partake in Jesus? Are they expecting Jesus to move? This is what that phrase means. Find me someone who's looking for Jesus. And for us, if we want to be as good as a janitor in the kingdom of God, like Stephen, we need to be looking for Jesus. We say Acts is not a storybook, it's not a history book, it's a field guide, it's a playbook, because we're supposed to continue living lives like Acts. 
And so if that's the case, then the first thing that we need to do is begin to look for Jesus. Where are you at in this scenario? Last week I was invited uh, to someone's uh, recording studio, uh, who's a pretty prolific songwriter, musician, friend, all of that. And he invited me to the studio not because of my music ability, which unfortunately I, let me down, because I still want to make it. I've got those Nashville dreams somewhere. But he said, hey, can you come and help me pray for this lady who has terminal cancer? And I was like, jeez, that's a big one. You know? And so that was on Monday morning. And it wasn't just terminal cancer. It was like terminal cancer that has continued to be terminal cancer. Like she's, she's had cancer for a long time, different kinds of cancer, just riddled with cancer. And I found myself like psyching myself out, to be honest with you. Like... Sarah was out of town last week, and so she's typically the one that keeps me sane uh, and grounded, so I couldn't really talk this out with her. And so I'm sitting there and thinking, I mean, this is big. Like, this is a big deal. Like, this lady is coming to this place uh, for prayer. I was invited because of some reason, and I've got to deliver. I've got to deliver. That was what I was feeling. And so I began to just to sort of like, really tried to, to read a lot about, you know, healing, uh, really spent a lot of time trying to sort of like rev myself up. And I just wasn't feeling it, to be honest with you. I was really tired, and I just wasn't feeling like a really holy man of God that was going in to crush cancer. I, I wasn't feeling like Jesus. I certainly wasn't feeling like Stephen. And all of a sudden, as I'm on my way there, I, I'm starting to sort of panic a bit because I'm feeling completely inadequate. And just very quietly, very gently, I hear the, the voice of the Lord, and he says, hey, uh, you're not going in there alone. I'll be with you. And so it, it honestly shocked me a bit, and it, and it sort of like made me think about it differently, and I began to, to reimagine what's getting ready to take place, that Jesus was actually going into that room with me. And I had just been believing that it was me. And that I had to have the right prayers, uh, the right words to say. I had written things down from different lessons that I was watching of like, here's the right things to pray at the right times, all that sort of stuff. I mean, I was really in my head. Until Jesus says, I'll be there. This is what he promised. That when we go, that he'll be there with us. And so I get in there and I realize that Jesus is here with me. And if it did nothing else, it made me chill. And it made me be able to relax. And as I'm sitting there looking at this woman who is in this incredibly painful situation, I was overcome by something that I didn't expect, compassion. I began to like, actually feel Jesus' heart because I didn't know this person. I only wanted to perform. And I missed it. And thankfully, Jesus is really gracious, like more gracious than we can ever imagine. And he was so kind, and he comes in and he says, I'm going to be there, just follow my lead. And so from this place of overwhelming compassion and simple prayers and listening to Jesus and saying, Jesus, like, what next? What do I do? We were able to minister in such a way that, like, she literally, by the time we left, now we haven't been able to verify yet, but... She came in sick, she couldn't move, she couldn't really sit comfortably. 
By the time she left, she was laughing. She was sort of like rolling around on the floor, not like in a weird way, but like trying to tell us something. And so she was getting down and getting comfortable and getting back up and like just really full of energy. Her color had changed. And so I believe she was touched by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm, I'm waiting for a report that would be the third cancer being healed uh, in, a, in a row. So I'm really looking in forward to, to hearing from that. But the point isn't that I did a good job. The point is that I realize that it really has nothing to do with me. Yeah. It's Christ in us. That's the hope of glory. And so if you want to be like Stephen, who wanted to be like Peter, who wants to be like Jesus, then we have to begin to recognize that it's Jesus going with us. He's going uh, along beside of us, and the best part is he's actually already there. We, we don't bring Jesus into a situation. We just meet him there. And so... As you're going about looking for opportunities to see the kingdom of God expand, you need to begin to look for Jesus in this place. What are you doing, Jesus? How can I come alongside what you're doing? That's the first thing that Stephen did. Second thing that Stephen did that, that was required of Stephen was that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. The word full actually means full. And when you use a word like full, what that means is that apparently you cannot be full. And so I'm not exactly sure theologically how we all work this out, and no one is, quite frankly. But I know that Paul says that we're continually to be filled with the Holy Spirit, like every day. And so they needed someone who every day sought to be full of the presence of the Holy Spirit, continually full of the Holy Spirit. Someone who has devoted their lives to being obsessed with Holy Spirit, I need more of you in my life. Like, I need, I need everything you have. There's places in my heart that I haven't given you. I need to give you those places. Show me those things in my heart where I don't trust you. Show me those sins that are grieving you. Show me those things that, that I'm doing that, that's causing me to be anything less than overflowing and full. Yeah. It's the same word that means, like, leaking out. So full that it's just busting out of you. Full of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is pneuma. And so what, that the, the Greek word there is pneuma. And so it means spirit, it means ghost. Some translations say Holy Ghost. But, but really what they were looking for is someone whose imagination, whose insight, whose thought life was baptized with the Holy Spirit. That they began to have a numinous way to think about things instead of noetic, which is a Greek word that, that comes from the mind. And so there's two paradigms and two perspectives that you can have. You can have one of the kingdom of God, and that would be uh, a numinous, active, everything at the moment is on the table. The Holy Spirit could break in at any time and do anything he wants. We could begin to see demons shriek and come out now in Jesus' name simply because the Holy Spirit is here. We could see people rise up from wheelchairs right now only because the Holy Spirit is here. That's a numinous paradigm. It's a, it's a spirit-soaked, drenched imagination. And so what Stephen had to be was obsessed with the possibility of a life drenched in the Holy Spirit of God, completely surrounded. And so often I believe that we're more drenched with the ideas of what we've seen. We've seen sickness and death and failures. We've seen logic and the normal things that happen in this life. 
And we have more faith in that than the numinous. And so what we need to begin to do is to say, okay, Holy Spirit, I need, I need more of you because I'm still thinking in my old dead paradigm. I don't have a sanctified imagination. Would you baptize me again? Would you fill me again? And the third thing that was required of Stephen was wisdom. He needed to be wise. And this word wisdom means both human wisdom and it means supernatural wisdom. He needed to to be wise in the ways of the world and in the ways of the kingdom. He needed to begin to educate himself on kingdom principles, looking for signs, looking for things that are happening, looking for for the things with his spirit-soaked imagination of what is going on right now. And how do I begin to step into that? The kind of wisdom that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 6, he says, However, we speak with wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing, but we speak of the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. The, the kind of wisdom that confounds earthly wisdom. The, the kind of principles that say things like, to, to grow in something, you give something. Uh, the kind of wisdom that begins to say that when there's a tragedy, it's actually an opportunity for a miracle. That kind of wisdom, which James tells us in chapter 1, verse 5 of his book, that if we want that kind of wisdom, all we have to do is ask. See, that's the thing about Stephen, is, is he didn't do any of this on his own. He just allowed Jesus to do it for him. We can't muster that up. And so every week, we want to share testimonies uh, of things that sort of break our natural wisdom uh, mind. And so uh, we want to begin to increase our capacity to expect God to do incredible, amazing things. And so I heard this incredible story uh, from Ryan, and, uh, and it's a, a, an amazing testimony that happened uh, a little less than a month ago. And so I wanted him to share with us just how amazing God is and how active and interactive he can be. Yeah, it was my uh, brother's story. Um, his family was on vacation in a campground, and um, their four-year-old daughter was sitting in the street drawing chalk on the sidewalk, and a three-quarter ton pickup ran over her. Both tires, so it was a pretty... and. The mother was in the camper and saw it, and she screeched both times the tires ran over her. And she told my brother, go out. Her name was Lily. Lily's dead. Go out and get Lily. She's dead. So my brother ran out there, and Lily sat up and started apologizing. We're getting run over by the truck. (laughs) And so that kind of blew him away. But what had happened that morning was the mother was having her devotions, and she saw Lily getting run over by a car. So she started praying for protection and all this and that, but she still got ran over by the car. Um, She texted us a picture of her sweater, and there was tire marks up the middle of her back and right over the head hole. So there's no way that it hit the curb or anything. The truck actually ran over her. 
So they uh, loaded her up in the car and took her to the trauma unit. When they got to the trauma unit, the doctor said, there's no reason you need to be here. There's nothing wrong with her. But my brother, he was really upset that she got ran over by the car. You know, God, we prayed for protection. Why did she get run over by the car? And my, his wife said, just take a minute and ask the Lord where he was at that moment. So he just took a minute and he closed his eyes and he said, Lord, where, are you, where were you when Lily got ran over? And immediately he saw a picture of God's hands wrapped around Lily's head and the truck driving over God's hands. It's incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, that's what God can do, is he can prevent, I mean, she should have died. That's just unbelievable. And so we, we want to begin to, to say, okay, God, if, if something like that is possible, like what can you do in, in my life in this situation? Like what can I bring into this moment in the office, in our neighborhood? Uh, when, when people uh, begin to share like the problems, like I can bring a solution to a problem that would confound all sorts of earthly wisdom. Because I'm thinking with the mind of Christ. And so Acts is telling us here that this is how you get to a place where you can affect history. Stephen was the first martyr. He was the first one that was killed for his faith in, in Jesus. And as he was being killed, he did something that, that doesn't make sense, and he began to pray for those that were stoning him that, that the Lord would forgive them. It's things like that that don't quite make sense. But it only comes when the Holy Spirit begins to soak our imaginations, our thought lives, our, our bodies. Everything has to be full of his presence. And so as we close, and you can stand, we're, we're going to worship. And so the thing that we always ask the Holy Spirit is, is to say, I'm here for a reason. Like if... If you're here and you've bowed your knee to Jesus, then, then you're what the scriptures call righteous. You've been made new. And so the scriptures also say that the steps of the righteous are ordered. And so we're here for a reason. And so the question has to be, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? Am I not experiencing your thoughts? Am I looking in a situation that, that I, need, I need to have your mind in this? I need to have the mind of Christ to come. I need the Holy Spirit to begin... To, to completely fill me so that I can look at this situation and see it for what it is. An opportunity to partner with a living, numinous, active, all-powerful God. And so that's sort of where we're going to leave it. And then if you need prayer, we're going we're to keep this open. And so if you need prayer and say, hey, listen, it's been a long time since I've felt full of the Holy Spirit. And I'd love to feel that. I'd love to experience that. I'd love to move back into that. I'd love to press into that. That's a great place to come. If, if you were one of the ones that raised your hand for, for healing and, and you didn't seem to improve, come, come forward. We'll keep healing. We'll keep praying for healing. Or if you need prayer for anything else, this is the time that we're going to just sit here for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. As the Holy Spirit, we do welcome you here. We ask that you search our hearts, that you know us, that you bring to mind truth, that you lead us in your ways. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you come in power. 
and that your power begin to rest here. The power that breaks through the ordinary, that breaks through the kingdoms of this world. Where mighty, wondrous, miraculous things take place that lead to the glory of your son, Jesus. So would you come? For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.